0: Hardy Har Har, and welcome to another installment of Innovation Crushes Fast Company Fridays. Um, I'm here joined again by Anissa Purbasari.
1: Great! Very good. Uh, wow. huh? Nailed Taking it. time. That's
0: Interview the, over.
2: That's the Indonesian pronunciation. That's the Indonesian pronunciation. Just skip over Western. Just we skip over the Western it, yeah. pronunciation.
0: And also, the other voice that you're hearing is Kate Davis.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, the Western pronunciation is Davis. It's ah, very tricky, ah, okay. though. I, I forgive you for getting it wrong. Ah, well, I you s- know, it's mispronounced all the time.
0: Man, it's a, it's a tough one. Um, so, you guys want to you want to talk about some secrets? Um, yes. Secrets of most. (laughs) Lots of secrets. So, uh, I guess let's just jump right in. I I would love to hear from the mouths that host the show, uh, a little bit more about the show that you host.
2: Yeah. So we, so the name comes from, um, we do an annual issue of Fast Company every year called the Secrets of the Most Productive People. This is the sixth year, um, highlighting some of like the most creative people in business and how they get so much done. So when you think of people like, um, I think some of our past subjects uh, have been like Amy Poehler, like how does she get so much done? And then even people like um, CEOs of Microsoft, like how do they get so much done? And we've had that as an ongoing series online for many, many years. And when we started the podcast, this is our third season Mm -hmm. now. Um, And the first two seasons were really focused on all sundry productivity issues. So... Uh, Our very first episode ever was What's Ruining Your Sleep? Because sleep is such a big thing and nobody ever says, oh, I feel so well rested. Like everybody thinks they're not getting enough sleep. What's ruining it? How do you get more? How does sleep affect your productivity, your life, your well-being, all of that. Um, So the first two seasons were all those sorts of uh, meat and potatoes uh, productivity issues. And then this third season that we're in right now is all about your career. So basically we're walking through kind of a career timeline of um, resume, interview, first week at the job, making a good impression, getting a promotion, negotiating a raise, when it's time to quit, when it's time to move on how you manage up like all of the the elements of career because that ties into productivity
1: too
0: yeah it sounds daunting and
1: no I, one <laughs> teaches <laughs> no one teaches you that in school yes so you have to somehow just magically know when you turn it, you now, know, how did, become uh, an adult <laughs> yes
0: how did that evolution happen right you go from like more your traditional stayed productivity and then get into career like what sort of insights popped up that made it clear that this was the next direction to go for season three
1: it was our listeners actually they requested that we focus more on career content and we for us it was a natural evolution because we had been covering it for so long and you know so much of productivity is about balancing your career and your personal life whatever that looks like and so it just seems kind of weird to be talking about productivity without kind of outlining the reasons why you want to be productive in the first place yeah what are the blockages
0: Uh, you know uh, (laughs) Yeah. yeah
1: and the reason why people want to be productive is often so they can have you know, some balance in their personal life, but also do well in their careers. And I think the other thing, too, is like what you
2: had just said is, is these are the things that everybody needs to know. Anybody with a job of any kind needs to know. But you never get taught like you never get taught how to negotiate your salary. You never get taught how to do well in an interview. And so that's what people kept asking and really wanted. And that's an element of this season that's different, too, is we're taking listener questions. So people are asking us exactly what they want to know. And we are either finding an expert to help answer that question or we're being the experts to, to answer
0: it. You guys feel like experts to me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> We've been doing this for a while. <laughs> We've been talking to a lot of experts for a while. Yeah, it? yeah.
0: I think it's the nature of journalism, right? Yeah. You're, you're, you're speaking to experts pretty often. Yeah. Um, I guess when you say th- let's start with the candidacy um what you mentioned interviews for instance mm-hmm. what does make a good interview like when you walk into a room like and that's, I think that's at any level of career, too, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah, The higher probably, you go, the bigger the stakes, I guess, and, yeah. in, some, in some ways. But.
2: And and the higher you go, maybe the longer you've been in a job, and so the longer you've been out of the interviewing right. practice, or um, you're just not used to it anymore, yeah, or you've a, sat on the other side of the table, or, yeah.
0: Anecdotally, I have, a, I have a friend who's been at a company for eight years, and, like, pretty senior, and, like, mm-hmm. is now, like, looking. And there's also like the emotionally exhausting side of it, of it it's not going hustle. well. Right. It is yeah. such a hustle right. looking for a job. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but yeah. it just reminded no. me, you reminded me of that.
2: No, um, I, we, in going through this season, both of us keep saying, I'm so glad I'm not looking for a job right now. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's exhausting. And it is, it's really, I mean, there's a power dynamic, obviously there's making a good first impression. and There's some things you can control and some things you can't. Um, You know, there's a lot of unconscious bias that enters in, in, you know, first impressions and interviews. But um, as far as the things you can control, there's definitely like common questions and how to answer them and knowing what uh, the interviewer is really trying to get at. Right. so uh, we talked about like. Do you want to talk about? What, we talked about a. What is your big? What is your? Years? Oh, that one. Yes, <laughs> you said you hate yeah, that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. But, also, but I've learned. I've learned how to question. answer it. But also the other big one is what's your biggest weakness? Yeah,
1: yeah. So why do you hate the? Where do you see yourself in five years? Well, I think. I mean, I. I guess I, I used to hate it, when, but now because I've learned what they actually really want, I kind of kind of see. I can see the rationale of it. I think it's just you kind of. I feel like the question is kind of always. Always setting you up to lie because no one's ever gonna say you know when especially for gra- young graduates they rarely go into a job and that is their dream job or you know like even if it so is you think dream company, what they're gonna say is or what the real
2: answer is is well not here or like uh, maybe they <laughs> maybe want the manager. maybe they of, want yeah.
1: the or maybe job or I want really your
0: job or yeah. maybe you don't even know like yeah, you know it's, you don't it's don't like know. I'm exactly. here exactly. now and that's how I used to answer that question it was just like exactly and it's an old question it you is. know I think even when you look at innovation in the hiring process like mm-hmm. i mean i'm 43 years old and when i was interviewing for internships they were asking that, I, yep. the same question yep. right so
2: well that's the thing about a lot of interview questions is like the interview process hasn't been innovated like people are asking the same questions by the way can we edit they... out
0: and i said i was 43 i don't want people to know to <laughs> <laughs> sorry um,
2: <laughs> that yeah the innovation process hasn't been innovated like you the, the interview process hasn't been innovated sorry um People are asking the same questions that they were asked in interviews and like just in the same way that you're never given a class on how to answer interview questions. Hiring managers are never given
1: classes really on how to ask the questions or what the best questions are to ask. Yeah. So then they probably go and base it on what they got asked when they were interviewing and because people are just asking the same questions over and over again. The cycle kind of repeats itself. Yeah. But anyway, going back to the whole five years thing, I think there is a way to answer that question, which is I we, we talked about it in the podcast. And it's about, you know, maybe you don't know what you want to do specifically or you actually do want the hiring manager's job or this is a stepping stone. You just focus more on kind of what kind of projects you want to do, because I feel like there's still a way to show that you're ambitious, but you're not being arrogant.
0: Hmm. Nice. And, and so the
1: one. other one that's the trap is
2: the what's your biggest weakness. Uh-huh. And my way that I ask it as a hiring manager is like the version of it and what I think maybe helps people frame it in their mind and like sets it up differently. And what you're kind of really trying to get at is I ask a version that's tell me a time that you made a mistake and what you did about it. Because that's what you're and like you said that you answer the weakness question with um, here's what my weakness is and I've identified it and here's how I'm trying to improve it. Yeah. So it shows that you're somebody that's like self-aware, but also like willing to work on things as opposed to the. B.S. answer that people say of I'm a perfectionist. Or I or work too <laughs> hard. You know, yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, I'm too handsome. <laughs> 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 I'm just
2: so charismatic that yeah. people
0: are just, just flocking. I'm way too <laughs> humble. Um, no, I, I, well, let me test this answer out, because this is how I used to answer the five-year question. Um, I would say, I just want to see where good work pays off. So is that too vague? Like, And I, I would go, you both mm-hmm. looking at me like, we would not hire you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Next. <laughs> Thanks for your time. Um, I want to see where, yeah, I would, if, if a candidate said that to me, I would say, can you tell me what you mean by that? Like, you, more explanation, yeah. yeah.
1: I feel like, I don't know. Again, I kind of expect that I feel like that's a little bit of an unfair question, so it really depends, I feel like, on the position. Like, if that was coming from someone that was a graduate, then I feel like I, Like, you know, it would be a good answer because they don't really know what they want to do. So maybe they're just truly interested in just doing the best work at whatever it is they do because there are those kinds of people. It's more about, you Mm -hmm. know, they're more, they might not necessarily have like a passion identified, but they are, you know, focused in doing an excellent job.
2: So Uh, are you saying like later in your career, you think you should, you should know what you want to do, not just like, I just want to work hard at whatever. Pays off at working hard at. I actually like. Here's what I'm interested in. Here's the types of projects I want to take. Yeah, me. well, I'd yeah. hope
1: that you'd have developed some expertise, and there's mm-hmm. a reason behind that. And you're you're developing those expertise, and you're interested in furthering that. So I feel like the answer would seem weird for someone who's a little bit more senior. But if it was junior, then it's like, yeah, that's understandable. Understandable. You're like how old? Like twenty one, twenty two. Like mm-hmm. no one knows what they want to do. Are there, when are there any 22. like
0: tools or processes or practices to kind of understand? you know, the emotional state of a candidate, right? Because you mentioned this when we were talking earlier about, all right, you wanted to be a lawyer mm-hmm. and you and you did it for the wrong reasons, essentially. And so knowing that you're transitioning from one industry vertical to another, or maybe you haven't worked in three months and like your apartment's about to be, you know, you're gonna get kicked out of it. Mm-hmm. And so to really understand that, like, I may answer a question out of desperation in some instances because I really need the money, <laughs> right? Uh, versus, you know, I, this is a perfect fit for me. And like, is there a balance in that?
2: Well, I or think from a kind of- candidate perspective, you, you know, it's it's really difficult. Like I was unemployed for a period of time in freelancing and like probably had that desperation in interviews. It's which never comes across as well and you don't you don't want the employer to think like i just want any job you know yeah. this particular job doesn't matter i just like desperately need <laughs> a job not a good impression to make um so from a candidate perspective you want to try to not give that vibe off try yeah. to not uh, put that forward and really think about like it's always about the company like why this company and why is why are you particularly interested in this from a a hiring manager's perspective, I think you have to you know know that people are human. Like I've certainly, and we talked about this in a recent episode um about following up from interviews, like I've certainly had people who have looked good on paper, didn't interview so well. um and then I gave an edit test to or like a follow-up kind of test to, and they sh- they were really uh, shined on that. Mm-hmm. you know, so it's yeah. like, well, some people just don't interview well. like yeah. some people were nervous or you know had something else going on or you know whatever else. Yes. yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> sub, <laughs> subway New delays. Subway, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a source of that stress. can leave you flustered, and, and yeah, there's yeah. can be so many other things in your life that maybe just made the actual impression on the interview not so great, and so. But then it it does still kind of fall on the candidate to to make up for that bad impression. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Now, once you get the job, wellness is obviously a part of your experience once you're on site, right? And I think there's a lot of, in, especially in the show, you guys have covered this as well a lot of new, new and nuanced practices. Um, I think one, Rachel Gutter was somebody spoken to um, around just like the whole like well-being in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, how are you seeing that shift in company practices?
1: It's weird because I feel like a lot of companies think that they're doing it, but then... I think a lot of companies are still having trouble trying to figure out what that looks like and it actually translating to employee well-being because you see a lot of these perks that a lot of these tech companies especially provide and if you look at the reason behind them, they might not necessarily be about employee well being. Like, it's like, okay, we have meals in the office so you can stay at work longer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, you know, some some of them are like, I don't know, some of them are really weird, like pet insurance. By the way, there's because, no know, food great.
0: here. Just, I, <laughs> we I found that out the hard way. We, this do,
2: have we do have a refrigerator sodas. full
1: yeah. of seltzer and mm, soda.
0: Yeah. my favorite.
1: You can stay <laughs> hydrated. Yeah. But your hunger's on you. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes they, Theoretically, want to want to introduce those benefits or perks you know a lot of companies are offering like wellness benefits health you know gym reimbursements whatever but then it's like i think actually translating how that how that looks like in a culture is still something that a lot of companies are still finding challenging because well, you know it's not just about introducing one perk and then suddenly everyone's happy mm-hmm. it's about the top down like is the ceo working like you know 12 hour days and emailing people at yeah. midnight. That's and yeah, that's exactly so it. So well being
0: comes from a different place in your experience or like in what you've uncovered mm-hmm. is then what a company might think it it's not the it's not the peanuts, it's the emotional connection to the people that you're working with. Well, I think with.
2: I think it's both in that it's one identifying what benefits matter to employees. So like does pet insurance really matter or do they want paid leave, you know, or do they want Um, you know better health insurance or like what are the uh, is free food a perk that people actually care about like identifying what your employees actually care about but then also like Anissa said is really leading by example and we've seen that a lot with like paternity leave for example like a lot Mm -hmm. of companies will have paternity leave but none of the men take it because it's a culture in which like it's viewed that they shouldn't and you're a slacker if you do and that's not really so like they have this benefit and it just doesn't get used and so if there's like something like you give lip service to we believe in taking you know mental health days and taking time off for that but then you're like you know like Anissa said the ceo or the the managers are you know working on weekends and working on vacation and not taking time off and like that's the example you're setting like you can't tell people to go home at it's five it's fine to go home at five and then you're working until nine every night they follow the example of the boss you know yeah
1: yeah and i think the leadership components is especially crucial because with paternity leave it's not just also about the men taking it it's about the men at the top right Mm -hmm. because sometimes you know they could be like oh yeah it's fine that they can take it but if but the subliminal
2: message is it's going to hurt your career exactly yeah
0: Yeah. well and and i think all these like you you guys have alluded to all this stuff feeds back into productivity how happy i am is Mm going to equal the be equal to the my output in in one of you wrote an article about mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the eight rules. Who was of, it? <laughs> <laughs> how you guys can duke it out for for the credit <laughs> um, about being fulfilled and engaged. You know, having fulfilled and engaged employees, and really looking at you know things like challenging the system, work life balance, which. Even that theory, right, of it, a, a good friend of mine, Nicole Yershon, who's the head of uh, innovation at Ogilvy, said, to me, it's all life. Like, it's, yeah. it's, it's there's like, no, there's no, like, oh, I, I do this life. over here, yeah. and I do over, do this over there. Like, it, a day, I mean, I have two kids, and I'm on the phone with them while I'm working, and, mm-hmm. you know, so it's just, it's all one balancing act.
2: Well, yeah. and nothing is that the, the phrase, and I think we've written about this before, yeah. like, the phrase work-life balance itself is problematic because it isn't, like, it, it implies that there's some sort of scale where they kind of equal out or whatever, and they don't, and it's a give and take, and sometimes you work more than you, life, I don't know, I mean, yeah. you work more than, <laughs> than, you know, you can attend to things in your personal life, and sometimes, like, especially, you know, like, if you have kids, one gets sick, like, well, then it goes out the window, you yeah. know, like, then that's what you're doing that day, and yeah, the, the concept of a balance is, sets people up for um, failure in their expectations.
1: Yeah, and I think there's also an expectation that you have to kind of do all those things equally. And Mm like you say, um, you just never will because life changes, like when you get sick, or when your kid gets sick, then you know you're not gonna have time to work. But then the next day you might have to miss out on a lot of social events. Yeah. Right? Because you have to catch up on work. And
0: it, it was the CEO of Pepsi at an event, and she had said, she told this anecdote about when she got the phone call that she was going to become the CEO. She's like, I was in the office oh, I working until about eleven o'clock like I normally do. <laughs> and I got the call and I hung up and I went home and she's like, she walked in the room, and she and her mom was living with them at the time. She's like Guess what? I'm gonna be the CEO, and uh, and she was like, "That's good. We need milk,
1: <laughs> right?" It like a very <laughs> immigrant parent situation.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but but it, I mean, you it's, you'll, you'll always miss out on something, exactly. right? And yeah. Um, so, no, that, that's cool. There's another guest that I thought was really interesting because I, I started to look at, like, the tools of the trade, right? So I had a conversation with uh, Chris from Microsoft, Chris Heilman, I want to say his last name is, um, about artificial intelligence and, in, you know, and sort of using these other technology tools for either vetting or sourcing or mm-hmm. interacting with each other and candidates. Um, what did you guys learn from that, that conversation?
2: So there are a lot of... Um AI is being used a lot in hiring processes more and more, usually to like help eliminate the unconscious bias of of um, like in the screening process, especially in like screening applicants, um, taking away. I mean, there's so many things that you don't even think about that as a as a person looking at resumes um, where bias can creep in, uh, names, universities you went to, things like that. So like. Uh, pulling that out and having uh, AI as a filter for that can help um, bring a more diverse uh, slate of candidates. If you already have a diverse slate of candidates applying, mm. um, if you don't, then you know the problem remains. But AI is also being used um, somewhat in in trying to diversify the the amount of can or the the types of candidates you're getting too.
0: Let's talk about side hustles.
1: Side hustles. All right, because
0: everybody has one. What's yours?
1: I'm training for a marathon, so it's not a monetary side hustle. That's yet. a that's a
0: literal. Hu- you're literally it's hustling. It's
2: literally yeah. hustling. Yeah.
1: Um, I don't know. I have a
2: I have a kid and I'm pregnant. That's a, that's so. a side hustle. Oh, so, two side hustles. So, <laughs> yeah, my side hustle is like staying. It's a
0: front hustle. <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> Actually, this <laughs> is
1: a side hustle.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. true. This is a side hustle. This is a, a side hustle within Fast Company, yes. uh, separate from our jobs. Mm-hmm. So, yeah.
0: Well, you know, it's funny because uh, we were talking earlier off air b- about the stretch of, you know, being a journalist and now you're hearing your voice and you're a host and like you're a, a sort of a face of a brand rather than, Here's the information, you guys read it and and enjoy Mm -hmm. it. Um, You're kind of carrying it. How how was that? What what was that stretch like for either of you?
2: Well, Uh, I think the thing is, and it's funny, um, I'm a bit older than Anissa, and I went to journalism school. You don't want to say your age like I did? I am 38. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not ashamed. Uh, I'm not. Uh, but when I, when I went to journalism school, like it was very much like about writing and editing and that was it. And the internet was relatively new and, and all of these other things that have become part of the job were not mentioned. And now to be a journalist, you can't just be a writer and editor. You have to be able to moderate panels. You have to be able to be on TV. You have to be able to do podcasts. You have to like diversify your portfolio of talent. And I think a lot of careers are like that now. You have to be digitally savvy. You have to be social media savvy in all sorts of fields that you don't. And so it's kind of just acquiring those skills on the job. Yeah. For
1: a lot of people. I feel like it's a mentality as well, right? There are some pe- and I don't think this is necessarily alone. I don't think journalism is specific, it's that there are people who get who get stuck in a very static particular way. And I don't know, for me, maybe it's because I came into journalism when social media was a part of it. And so I kind of had always expected that as I move into my career, there's always going to be new platforms and new skills that I need to pick up. And so I don't really feel like the transition has been that massive just because that's what I expected. You you were prepared for it. They were like, you need to be
2: able to, you need to be on Twitter. You need to like you were yeah but
1: also it's not just about that but it's also like oh okay now there's a new platform that i have to you know think about like it wasn't a shock it's not a shock to i hate the word pivot
0: because i feel
1: (laughs) like it's overused but Mm -hmm. it's not it's not a shock to have to pick up new skills along the way because that's just i feel like what we kind of and
2: to have to to constantly evolve your skills like Uh you you've been you started out with the mindset of like Things change and things change rapidly, yeah. and there's you know what I do today is not going to be what I do next it's, year probably. Yeah. yeah.
0: On uh, comedians and cars getting coffee, and I forget who the guest was, but Jerry got into this sort of you know how he gets in these soft arguments uh, about lack of focus and expertise, right? He was saying like, oh, it was kind of like back in the day you had like a Sammy Davis Jr. who could sing, he could tell jokes, he you know he had like multiple skill sets. And then the argument was, well, now we have better, like if you focus on one thing, you're better at comedy than you are at dancing in -hmm. that that example. But I'm always curious, like generationally, like you said, this is native to you, you know, Um, the whole social media and like the number of things you have to manage at once versus like, yeah, you know, this is what I home, hone in on and this is what I'm really good at. And is there value or balance? Have you guys discovered any sort of differences or similarities in, in, in that regard?
1: I mean, the way I see it, and I don't want to profess to be the expert here, but <laughs> this is how I'm kind of approaching my career going forward, is there's a lot of people, I think that the idea of just being an expert in one field is not necessarily outdated, but it's going to be a lot harder to kind of be at the top of your field. But I feel like where the niche is, is to become an expert in kind of two different fields. And you might not be as good as the people in one field, but then you're the only one who can kind of understand the intersection between those fields. So I feel like kind of just based on what we see in terms of covering, you know, the kinds of new jobs that pop up, and new careers that, come, that we don't know if they will, you know, we don't know um, what kind of jobs and careers might exist in five years. That is going to be the sweet spot because I feel like a lot of hiring managers are finding it difficult to hire people that have two intersectional skills. Like I just edited a piece about, I can't remember specifically, but this guy was a, I think he was, had, had knowledge and expertise in um, coding and software engineering, but he also knew about the artistic side of film. And so I think it was um, the guy who created King Kong's fur. And somehow that knowledge made him the only expert to do that very particular thing. Hmm.
2: Yeah, I think you can't shoehorn yourself into being like, I'm a, an expert on this very tiny thing, and that's mm-hmm. all I'm ever going to be an expert on, because that's a, a recipe to like like lose your like, only have one job and, and not have a, a future. Yeah. Um, for me, I think it's been... What's been important, especially as a journalist, but I think it's relevant to like any kind of field, is remaining curious and like being a lifelong learner. And I always say, like, so my first magazine job was at uh, Popular Photography, a photography magazine, and I knew nothing about photography, <laughs> and everybody there did. and And I got the job, and they're like, "Oh, so you know about photography? You're an expert." I'm like, "No, I'm a journalist, and I know how to ask questions, and I know how to figure things out." And I think that's a skill that in any field serves you well is to just be curious about what's going on, what's going on in your field, what's going on in other fields, what's going on in the world, like what trends are happening. And if you're in a dying industry, what else is happening and what else are you interested in? What other things are out there? You know, being a lifelong learner, like, yeah, especially the older you get, the longer away your formal education was. And, you know,
0: uh, In my book, Shameless Plug, Ten Essential Rules for Your book is called Shameless Plug? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, my book Shameless Plug. That's book number two.
2: It's a good title.
0: You're welcome. All right, let me hold on to this. No, I talked about that, but, you know, this idea of how your skills translate from vertical to vertical or industry to industry you just have to be a good storyteller, mm-hmm. and h- how those skills apply, right? So yeah, you have to be
2: able to think about your skills in different ways, which I think is difficult for a lot of people. Like, oh, I've only ever done this, so my skills are only applicable to this. It's like think broader, right? About, yeah,
0: You can make King Kong's fur. <laughs>
2: yeah, <So> what <laughs> other fur can you make? <laughs> well, I think you probably designed other animated furs. I don't know. Yeah, but King Kong That's was it, one of them. <laughs> but it does seem like a very niche skill. Designing yeah, it fur. is very
0: niche. <laughs> Um, going back to sort of this candidacy conversation, um, what questions, what stops people from, uh, I don't know, I, th- I think there's a fear sometimes when you're on either side of the table mm-hmm. to ask a hard hitting question. Either you're being mindful of policy, like are there certain questions that I can't ask you, but I need to read between lines, and mm-hmm. then similarly, like, Maybe there's a question that's too aggressive, you know, from me as a candidate to ask. Um, Do you find that there's a sweet spot for like reading the room at at any point in time, like during an interview process?
2: So we we've talked a lot about and we've covered a lot about um, how to suss out a company's culture in an interview. I Mm -hmm. think that's a big thing that's a lot of a lot of candidates have the question about of like, well, what is really like to work there? And especially like, how do you suss out, especially like a toxic company culture? And I think there are a lot of things like you obviously you can't ask like, so do you hate working here? Like, is this horrible? You know, <laughs> But you can, like, there's a lot of clues in the room. Like, how does the interviewer seem? Like, do they seem stressed and rushed? Like, how do people in the office seem? Like, if you get to walk through the office and it's lunchtime, is everybody eating at their desk and looking miserable? Um, there's also, you can ask a question that gets around the question you really want to ask. So um, you want to know about, like, what the benefits are, what the culture is like. It's like, so what do you really, what's your favorite thing about working here? Like, that's a totally valid question for a candidate to ask the person right. interviewing them. You know? and
0: if they
1: go hmm. <laughs> or like nothing. <laughs> or I mean just Let me what think they about say. That. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. I don't know about the hard hitting questions from the interviewer's perspective though. Because I feel like in an interv- in the job interview I guess sometimes there are maybe instances where the company really wants you to come and work for them especially at a leadership level, but I feel like the power dynamic for most of the time is in the interviewer. So
0: Well, you might have a misconception it's, though. I, I like I tell my friends who are like up for roles or whatever. Uh-huh. I'm like go in there like you own it. Like it like it in a, in internally mm-hmm. it shouldn't matter to you. Yeah. Right? Like and it, because once you come from that place of like there's a power dynamic you're, you're setting off in a, a losing path or a losing yeah, trajectory. That's, that's because true. they,
2: I mean, obviously they called you in for an interview. They, right. They're interested in yeah. you. You know, they have as much to gain as you do. Um, From a hiring manager's perspective, if there's something that you want to know and you don't know how to ask it, like if you, if I had the sense that the person didn't really want to do, and this has happened before, if like I have the sense that the person doesn't really want to do the job that the, that I'm hiring them for. They are interested in something else. There's ways to ask questions around, like, what are you really interested? And in? you kind of, like, read between the lines and, and suss
0: that out. What sort of, what have you stolen? What have you stolen? <laughs> what have you stolen, <laughs> have you stolen? <laughs> like, from a work-life hack perspective? in uh, out of all these shows that you've done and all these episodes, like, what's something that you personally adopted and has worked for you?
1: I mean, okay, mine is, like, really simple, but it's that... It's always going to change depending on your priorities. And there's no one system that's perfect. And I know there's a really annoying answer, but trust me, if you um, Kate knows this, I've tried so many different like hacks. See, that's <laughs> a, that's the thing about Anisa's answer should be
2: everything because she <laughs> everything. she has been a guinea pig for us for a lot of things where she's tried out all yeah. of the all of the advice that we give, all of the studies that you know say this is how many hours of sleep you need. This if you do this thing at your lunch break, it makes you more productive for your mm-hmm. afternoon slump. Like she's tried it all out. And I should also say about Anissa, that she,
0: <laughs> Uh-oh. that she is Here comes so,
2: she is so lives and breathes this stuff that she was reading Seven Habits of the Most Productive or Most effective Highly Effective People. When my she mom was sent like, me that book like no,
0: when she was disappointed in my career.
2: When she was like fourteen, she was reading this. Oh, oh, geez. Yeah, like this has been a life. This is Anissa's <laughs> life, so, so she's the better why, person to answer this that's question. That's why
1: when I said stolen, I actually think the. Yeah, the key and this might just be like the most anti-productivity thing because everyone would expect oh what's the one life hack I'm like no I feel like productivity is very personal and I think it should change depending on your priorities and so for me that's I think been what's the most helpful because I think so much I think for so many people they're always looking for their one magic bullet right it's just going to change everything and when pe- if people ask me how I stay productive, I give them like really, really boring answer and I don't do it perfectly. I'm like, okay, it really comes down to three things. <laughs> you get enough sleep, you eat healthy, and you exercise, and you have those three things, chances yeah. are you're gonna be productive. But. It's like whenever anybody wants to lose weight and they're like, what's the
2: secret yeah. to losing weight? Like, Stop
0: eat, eating donuts. Yeah, <laughs> eat less and exercise more. Like, no, 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 no,
2: but the trick. I wanna know the trick to it. It's yeah. like, okay, that's a whole different question. It's yeah. the mental trick. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Yeah. no, I, I spent time as a personal trainer like when I first moved to LA, and uh, it was always like, oh, so what do I do? I was like, just work out, stop eating the stuff you've been eating. Like, uh, it's not. Like, do the
2: common sense <laughs> things. i like, I don't
0: yeah. wanna train you forever. Like <laughs> My, my goal should be to get get you off on on your own path in as few sessions as possible. And so, like, I don't want to be training you for 10 years unless yeah. you're like, you know, Dwayne Johnson, like, you where you need to be buff all day, every day. Yeah. Um, uh, but any uh, work-life hack that you've adopted from your conversations with folks on the show?
1: So a lot of the
2: things have been, it's it has been really, like, taking what, like, trying things out, taking what works and discarding what doesn't. And they're all, like obvious little simple things like um, I'm very and this has just been my personality forever is like color coded calendars and like putting things in and that like works for me Um, I do uh, to do lists on post it notes I don't bother with the whole like bullet journal thing but I know that works for a lot of
0: people as you look at my bullet journal right there you
2: go (laughs) Um, but the one thing that I've been doing for a really long time and we've written about it before um, and I thought I had made it up but turns out other people do this a lot. Is when I need to do like the deep work, um, like really focus and not be interrupted. I turn off all of the notifications and I set a timer. The Pomodoro mm. method. Yes, yes. Which I again, what is I the thought,
0: Pomodoro method because what is it's,
2: it? Uh, it means uh, tomato in Italian. I have no idea, but Pomodoro. It's because, yes, because the guy who also thought he invented it. Um, Based, they had a like tomato timer that he started it with. Yeah, so it's basically just setting a timer. It's so setting a timer yeah. and working and not getting distracted by anything. Just deep focus for the amount of time that the timer is, <laughs> and then and,
1: taking a break after that. Yeah, and but you give you give yourself a break, so you're not just like sort of half working. So it's like kind of taking a sprint you know, and it taking a break, taking So sprinting. says the marathon. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, it's, but it's
2: surprising because, or it works, because um, think about whenever you try to do anything, how many times you're like, oh, I need to look that up, Tab. I need to, oh, Slack just oh, dinged with a message. Um, all like all day. You know, yeah, exactly. All day. So it's like, okay, I'm going to turn all of those things off. I'm set this timer. I'm not allowed to do anything until it dings. And then you you're amazed by how much you can get done in that amount of time.
0: As we wrap, Anissa, you said something that reminded me of a quote that I love, because I think, yes, as you evolve in your career or your journey, you know, there's a, a the quote that I like is what got you here won't get you there. Mm-hmm. So whatever you learn how to do that got you up to this point and you would like I, my goal is now, you know, two levels higher. These skills may not necessarily apply. So, like, how do I learn new productivity, you know, tricks and habits and and different ways to get things done? So, um, thank you, guys.
1: Yeah, Yeah, thank
0: you. you. Gals, do I have to be gender specific in this? People. Thank you. Thank you, they. (laughs) Humans. (laughs) Humans. (laughs) Um, Everybody, this has been another installment of Innovation Crush Fast Company Fridays, and we will talk to you next time.